Good evening. If you'd like to follow along tonight, I'd like to ask you to turn to 2 Samuel and uh, chapter 7. 2 Samuel and chapter 7. And uh, we will uh, pick up a reading there in that chapter. Starting in verse 8 and reading through verse 16. 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 8 through 16. The word of God says this, it says, Now therefore so shalt thou say unto my servant David, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I took thee from the sheepcote, from following the sheep to be ruler over my people, over Israel. And I was with thee whithersoever thou wentest, and have cut off thine enemies out of thy sight, and have made thee a great name, like unto the name of the great men that are in the earth. Moreover, I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them that they may dwell in a place of their own and move no more, neither shall the children of wickedness afflict them any more as before time. And as since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel and have caused thee to rest from all thine enemies, also the Lord telleth thee that he will make thee a house. And when thy days be fulfilled, and thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, I will set up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of thy bowels, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he shall be my son. If he commit iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the stripes of the children of men. But my mercy shall not depart away from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away before thee. And thine house and thy kingdom shall be established forever before thee. Thy throne shall be established forever. And that's the reading of 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 8 through 16. Um, my title night is going to come from the last verse that I read there. Um, and that verse again says, And thine house and thy kingdom shall be established forever before thee. Thy throne shall be established forever. My title tonight will be Covenantal Promises, an Eternal King. An Eternal King. Now, I'm sure that uh, you have you picked up that uh, my theme this week has been uh, the covenants uh, in the Bible. I've preached on the different covenants this week, the Covenantal Promises. Um, Sunday uh, night, I preached on the covenant made with God in Eden, or excuse me, the covenant that God made with Adam and Eden, uh, the covenant that the covenant promise that God made with Adam and Eden, and um, the covenant of redemption that was made between the Trinity before the world was ever created. On Monday, um, with the kids, I preached on the covenant that God made with Noah, and um, uh, Monday night preached on the covenant that God made with Abraham. And this morning, uh, with the kids, I preached on the first part of the Mosaic covenant, which was the moral law or the Ten Commandments. And tonight I want to talk about the covenant that God made with David. And so as we look at this, God was, he had sent Nathan the prophet to David, and he had given David this, um, this prophecy here, this promise, made this covenant with him, and this, this agreement. Um, and he basically told David that I am going to make sure that there's going to be somebody from your family and your lineage that is going to be on the throne forever. They're going to be a king forever. 
And as we look at history, we see that, of course, uh, David was on the throne of a united kingdom here in Israel for about 40 years. And following him, his son Solomon was uh, a king over a united kingdom of Israel for about 40 years. And then uh, his son Rehoboam started to have some problems, didn't he? He wasn't a very wise king, and he was filled with pride. And uh, so because of that, the kingdom became divided. And there was a division between the ten tribes of Israel and the two tribes of Judah. And we see that the, divi the divided kingdom went on for a couple hundred years before uh, then the Assyrians uh, came in and eradicated uh, Israel. And then about 135 years after that, the Babylonians came in and eradicated the, uh, the tribe of Judah. And so as we look at it from a physical standpoint, we see that uh, this promise that there was only a physical king out of David's family that was over a united Israel for only a little over 40 years after that uh, this promise was made to him. So how does that promise, was that promise fulfilled and how does it apply to us today? I want to turn... Uh, over to the New Testament, to the book of Luke, chapter 1. And we see here in Luke, chapter 1, that the angel, uh, Gabriel, comes to Mary, the, the virgin. And starting in verse 30, he says this to her and trying to help her understand what is going on uh, with her. He says, it says, And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. You see, we find that, that uh, God fulfilled this promise in the Messiah, in the Lord Jesus Christ. And this eternal uh, kingship, if you will, uh, was not a physical one, uh, but it was a spiritual kingship that he gave uh, to the Lord Jesus to keep forever and forever. You know, we look in the New Testament and we see almost immediately in the New Testament that the people were looking for the king. They were looking for the Messiah to come. I mean, you remember the account that's normally read at Christmas time in Matthew chapter 2. It says, uh, Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. These magi, these wise men, these kingmakers, they had, they had come to, at that specific time for a couple of reasons. And they were looking for the Messiah. They were looking for the king. I believe that they were looking for a couple of reasons. Number one, I believe that there were Old Testament prophecies that pointed to the very time that the Messiah would come. We find uh, in the uh, 49th chapter of, of Genesis, in the prophecies that Jacob was giving to his 12 sons, he got to Judah and he said something along this line. He said, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh come. He said, listen, there's going to be a governmental authority in, in uh, uh, Judah until the time of the Messiah. And if you study history, you see that that happened all the way down until the days of the Romans. 
the days that Christ came. God was telling people beforehand, hey, you can look for the Messiah at this specific time. Of course, there's the prophecy given in Daniel, the 70 weeks prophecy in Daniel chapter 9. And essentially, I believe that what uh, God did there through the prophet Daniel was say, hey, at the end of this 483 years, the 69 weeks of this prophecy, the Messiah is going to come. At the time that the decree is given to rebuild the wall and to rebuild the temple, uh, from that time forward, from about 457 B.C., at about 483, 483 years to that, you get somewhere around 26 A.D., you got the time that the Messiah would come into his full ministry. You know that, uh, that there was prophecy given. God didn't want to leave his people in ignorance. He doesn't want to leave his people in ignorance today. There are so many rich things in the word of God that we can find through studying. We find that uh, in the book of Luke, it tells us that, uh, that there was a, a man uh, in the temple that was looking. He was looking for the Messiah to come. And the Bible says that the Holy Ghost revealed to him that he wouldn't see death until he saw the Lord's Christ. And there was also a woman there that was looking for him too. So I believe that they had prophecy that had spurred them on, but also they had the Holy Spirit telling them, listen, I'm going to use a star, and I'm going to take that star right over where the Messiah is going to be at, and you just follow that star. So there was a couple leads that they had. Now, let's get into some of the real, what I feel is the meat and potatoes of this thought tonight. And that is, is what qualifies Jesus to be the great king that he is, the eternal king of glory. You know, uh, Peter and Paul both had something to say about that in, in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 2. And I want you to turn over there, if you would, and read along with me. In the great Pentecostal sermon that, that Peter preached there on the day of uh, Acts, uh, he used all kinds of Old Testament scripture to uh, support the points that he was making. And he says this, he says... Um, and starting in verse 23, Acts chapter 2 and verse 23, speaking about Jesus, he says, Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. I believe that's a reference to the covenant of redemption that we mentioned on Sunday night. That that happened before the world was ever created. Uh, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain him. For God hath raised uh, up Excuse me, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. For David speaketh concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is on my right hand that I should not be moved. He goes on here, and he, I'm going to read this, but he quotes the 16th Psalm, uh, verses 9, excuse me, verses 8 through 11. You could go back and read. He's using the scriptures, using the Psalm to preach this message to him there. He says, Therefore did my heart rejoice. And my tongue was glad. Moreover, also my flesh shall rest in hope, because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Listen, this was, this was a psalm that was predicting the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and we don't have to, that's not a guess tonight. That's not an interpretation. Uh, but the Bible clearly tells us right here that that's what the application was. He says, thou hast made known to me the ways of life. Thou shalt make full, make me full of joy with thy countenance. He goes on and says, men and brethren, uh, 
Let me speak freely, excuse me, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulcher, or his tombstone, is with us unto this day. Uh, Peter says, it's very clear to us uh, that, that uh, David was not speaking about himself when he was talking about this psalm. Because he's already dead, he's already buried, we have his tombstone, he's gone. Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him, what, what, what oath did he swear? The, 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 the Davidic covenant, that covenant I read to you back in 2 Samuel chapter 7. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. He, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell or was not left in the grave, Neither did his flesh see corruption or deterioration. This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we, are, we all are witnesses, therefore being by the right hand of God exalted and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he hath shed forth this which ye now uh, see and hear. The, the qualification that, that Jesus, one of the qualifications that qualifies him to be an eternal king is his resurrection from the dead. Listen, if he's going to be an eternal king, a king that's going to be on the throne forever, then death can have no effect on him, and it didn't. It kept him in the grave for three days, and he resurrected uh, by uh, the power of the Holy Spirit, and because of that resurrection, he is fit to be an eternal king. Amen. Paul says something along the same lines in Acts chapter 13. He's preaching there at, uh, I believe it's at Antioch of Pisidia. And he's getting into some of the same scriptures, talking about the resurrection. And um, he, he, he gets into the second psalm there in verse 33, talking about the resurrection. And he gets into verse 34, and that's where I want to pick it up. And he says this, this is Acts 13 and 34. He said, and as concerning that he raised him up from the dead, now no more to return to corruption, no more to return to a deterioration of his body. He said, on this, on this wise, I will give you the sure mercies of David. Now he ties this phrase, I will give you the sure mercies of David, he ties that to the resurrection. Now we find that, that phraseology, I will give you the sure mercies of David, we find that in the 55th chapter of Isaiah. You that are Bible readers and studiers, you, you quickly recognize the 55th chapter of Isaiah as being the great invitation that Isaiah gave. Remember that Isaiah said this, he said, Ho, or behold, every one that thirsteth, come ye to the waters, and he that hath no money, come ye, buy and eat. Yea, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. He's appealing to a spiritual thirst that cannot be satisfied or satiated anywhere else. He's appealing to something that cannot be purchased with money, uh, but that is sweeter than wine and sweeter than milk. He's appealing to the salvation that can only be given by the eternal King Jesus. Amen. It says, wherefore or why do you spend money for that which 
is not bread, and your labor for that which satisfieth not. Uh, hearken diligently, or listen unto me, and eat ye that which is good, and let your soul delight itself in fatness. You know, uh, uh, Isaiah is saying here, why are you wasting your money on things that can't help you? Why are you wasting your labor and your work and your energy on things that can't help you? Why don't you come and delight yourself in the Lord, find the truth, find some salvation in King Jesus? He says, incline your ear, Get, lean your ear over, hear what is being said, incline your ear, come unto me, incline and come, listen to the great invitation that is given and respond, take action, uh, move. He says, and your soul shall live. He says, and I will make an everlasting covenant with you, even the sure mercies of David. What were the sure mercies of David? Well, we find that grace and truth came by the Lord Jesus Christ. There's some great mercies in grace, the grace of God and the truth of God. My friend, uh, the Lord Jesus can give those out and he can do that everlastingly and make a covenant with you uh, in saving your soul that will last eternally because of the resurrection from the dead. Uh, he is on that throne forever and forever. Amen. He is. Because of the resurrection, he's the only one qualified to fulfill that eternal kingship. The only one. Now, there's a, another thing that qualifies him. In uh, Psalms chapter 110, I'm not going to turn there, but you can if you want to. It's in verse 4. There's a couple great oaths that God the Father makes in that chapter. And the one that I want to focus on is in, uh, again, chapter 110. And verse 4, and he, he says this, he says, the father says to the son, thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. You're a priest forever. He, by the oath of God the Father, he said that the son was a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. You see, in the Old Testament, uh, the priests came from the, from the tribe of Levi. And uh, through David's lineage, the kings were coming after Saul. The kings came through the tribe of Judah. So you had the two different tribes where those offices came from. Uh, but he didn't refer to that Levitical priesthood as being one that Jesus would fulfill. That was a priesthood of men. <laughs> he referenced back to the Old Testament, back to Melchizedek, uh, this figure that we see back in the book of Genesis, uh, this gentleman who came and Abraham paid tithes to him after the wars of the kings uh, because he was both a priest and a king. And this is the priesthood that Jesus has where he is both a king and he is a priest. He fills both roles. Amen. That's by the oath of God, the Father. You remember we were talking the other night in Abraham, the covenant made with Abraham, how that uh, it was by two immutable things that God was able to give them a great hope. And those two unchangeable things were because God could swear by no greater. He swore by himself. He swore by his own great character. And by the character of the Father, we have uh, the Son with this unchangeable priesthood. The Hebrew writer in chapter 7 was clarifying this idea of the Melchizedek priesthood. And he said this. He said, who is made, in verse 16, who is made not after the law of a carnal commandment, but after the power of an endless life. <laughs> Jesus is a, is a priest. He's an eternal priest uh, and an eternal king after the order of Melchizedek because of the resurrection, because that he lives forever. He will forever be at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us. Amen. 
What a great confidence tonight. What a great confidence that you can have in King Jesus. Man, in the, the New Testament, we have some, uh, some praise that is given unto him and his great power. In 1 Timothy, the apostle Paul is writing to Timothy. And he, uh, there's a couple of different things that he says there about this great king. In chapter 6, speaking about Jesus, uh, Paul says this in verse 14. He says that thou keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable, until the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know the first time that the Lord Jesus came, he came as a humble lamb. Uh, but the next time that he comes in his second coming, he will come as a judge, as the lion of the tribe of Judah. He will come as a judge. And it says, which in his times he shall show who is the blessed and only potentate. They call calls Jesus here the potentate. That means that one that is powerful or one that is all powerful. He refers to him as the king of kings, as the, the Lord of lords. You know, of all the kings and all the monarchs and all the powerful world leaders who have ever lived in the history of the world, uh, their kingdom was limited to a specific location. Their kingdom was limited to a uh, certain duration. Uh, but he is much greater than all of those kings uh, because their carnal kingdoms have passed away or will pass away, but his eternal kingdom will go on forever and forever. He says, who only hath immortality, dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto, whom no man hath seen, nor can see, to whom be honor and power everlasting. Amen. The Apostle Paul uses these doxologies in a couple places here in this book, where he just comes on with a burst of truth and ends it with an amen. So be it. Let it forever be so. Earlier in the, in the book, in the first chapter, Paul is talking about his own experience. And here we see the great power that King Jesus has. Uh, remember, he told the, the early church prior to giving the Great Commission, he said, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. All power, all authority is given to him. And uh, Paul talks about his uh, uh, dealing out the sure mercies of David here in the, the power to save souls in speaking about his own personal experience. He says this, starting in verse 12, he says, And I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that he hath counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Paul said that the Lord had gifted him, had, had blessed him, not because he was deserving, not because he was worthy, but because he was faithful. Because God could, could count on him to do what he was supposed to do when he was supposed to do it. He says, Who was before a blasphemer? He, he spoke with an intent to injure the, the true cause of God. And a persecutor, he persecuted the, the people of God. Remember, we read in the book of Acts in several places, it says that the apostle Paul persecuted the church of God and wasted it. He was hailing men and women or literally dragging them off to prison. He says, but if I, I, he says, I was a blasphemer, I was a persecutor, and I was injurious or I injured God's cause and his church in the world. But I obtained mercy. I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. One thing about this great king is he's merciful. 
I'll tell you, as you look down through history, so many of the kings have been arrogant. They've been selfish. They've been ruthless. But this everlasting king, the king that fulfills uh, the, the covenant made to David, is merciful and kind and loving. Amen. He says this is a faithful saying. Excuse me. And, and the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying. And worthy of all acceptation or full acceptance that Christ Jesus came in the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. You remember Paul, I believe Paul saying here that he felt like the worst sinner in the world. He's saying, I'm the chiefest of sinners. I'm the greatest sinner. I'll tell you, the night that I got saved, I felt like the greatest sinner in the world. I didn't believe that there was anybody in the world ever had committed more sin and was farther away from God than I was. I believe the Apostle Paul felt the same way. I believe you that have been saved felt the same way. But you remember what Gabriel said about Jesus when he was talking to Mary? He said, he'll be great. <laughs> he'll be great. As great as your sin is, as great as a sinner as you are, you've got a greater king. You've got a greater priest. You've got a greater savior. He says, how be it for this cause I obtained mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering. Boy, we've talked about the great characteristic of God this week of longsuffering and patience, and God did exemplify longsuffering in Paul's life, didn't he? When he was Saul of Tarsus and he was, uh, he was wreaking havoc on the church and God um, had mercy and was patient with him and ended up saving his soul. He said, now unto the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. In this doxology, he recognizes Jesus as that great king that he is a subject of. Are you a subject of this king tonight? You can be. You need to be. He wants, you to, he wants to bring you into his kingdom as one of his subjects. We see in, later on in the, in the book of Matthew chapter 21, we have what's referred to as the triumphal entry as Jesus went into, uh, I believe it was Jerusalem, for he went, as he went into Jerusalem, uh, just prior to his crucifixion, uh, they recognized him. They worshipped him. They worshipped the king. They recognized him for who he was. It says there in uh, Matthew chapter uh, 21, it says this. It says in verse 6, And the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. They, they brought the, uh, the ass and the colt and put on them their clothes, and they, they set him thereon, and a very great multitude spread their garments in the way. Others cut down branches from the trees and strawed them in the way. And the multitudes that went before and that followed, they cried, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. They're saying, Here comes the king. Here comes King Jesus, the eternal king. They're waving their clothes at him, they're waving the palm uh, leaves at him, and they were saying, Hosanna, which means, Oh, save, or save, I pray thee. They recognized him for having the great power to save, and they were worshiping and honoring him and glorifying him as he was coming into the city. They said, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. 
Boy, they were, they were praising him. Later that, we, we look in the scriptures and we see the glory and the honor that is given to the king and that will be given to the king. In the Philippian letter, Paul is talking about this. This is a familiar uh, idea. You have heard this, no doubt, multiple times from multiple preachers. This is nothing new. But Paul says this in Philippians chapter 2 after he talks about uh, the, great, uh, the great attitude of, of servitude that, and selflessness that Jesus has. Talking about having the mind of Christ. Uh, how that he left the glories of heaven and came down here to serve us, to be a sacrifice for us. And it says, wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Listen, one day all of humanity will give uh, God the glory that a king deserves. They'll give, him the, they'll give him the glory that a king deserves. If you're lost tonight, you're going to give him the glory that a king deserves one day. You will do that. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess him. Uh, but I'll tell you, if you're born again, if you're saved tonight... Uh, we look and we see even a picture of worship, the heavenly worship in the book of Revelations chapter 4 and chapter 5. How that we see so many of every nation and kindred and tongue and people that are gathered around the throne and they are worshiping the Lamb. That's what they're doing. That's what heaven is. It's a worship of King Jesus. We talk so often about Jesus being um, the... Uh, the I am's. We talk about him being uh, where he says, I am the door. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the living water. I'm the living bread. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. But you know, in the book of Revelation, the last chapter, he says, I am the root and offspring of David. He says, I. He's essentially saying, I'm the everlasting king. I'm King Jesus. That's who I am. We see his saving power as king. In the book of Matthew in several places, I want to go to chapter 20. You can find two different places where he is forgiving uh, blind men that come to him. And they essentially come to him and they approach him the same way. He saves some blind men in, in Matthew chapter 9. He saves some blind men in Matthew chapter 20. Two different accounts. This one, I believe, later on in one of the other parallel passages of the New Testament, uh, tells us that this is blind Bartimaeus here in chapter 20. Uh, but I want you to notice how that they approached him. It says in uh, verse 20, chapter 20, verse 29, it says, And as they departed from Jericho, a great multitude followed him. And behold, two blind men sitting by the wayside, when they heard that Jesus passed by, cried out, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, thou son of David. And the multitude rebuked them, because they should hold their peace. But they cried the more, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord. Thou son of David. You notice how that they approached him? They approached him and recognized him as the eternal king. They said, King Jesus, you can do anything. Have mercy on us. And the people said, hey, be quiet. You're making a commotion. You're making a stir. Uh, you're, uh, you've lost your dignity here a little bit. Uh, but they cried out the more. They didn't care. And I'll tell you, uh, if you're lost tonight, you need to cry out to God and not worry about who's around and who's watching and what you think of them. You need to be concerned about what the king thinks tonight. 
He'd be worried about what the king thinks. Remember what Jesus said in one place? He said, fear not them that can kill the body, but fear them, fear him who can kill the body and cast the soul into hell. He said, I say, fear him. That's who you need to fear tonight. You need to fear the Lord. Worry about the Lord and what the Lord thinks. In Matthew chapter 15, we find the account of the Syrophoenician woman, or here she's referred to as the Canaanite woman. This is a Gentile woman who comes to the Lord Jesus. I mean, she's not one of the Israelites. She comes to him, though, because her daughter has a problem. She's grievously vexed with an evil spirit or with a devil. And I want you again to notice how that she approaches King Jesus. It says, and behold, this is verse 22 of the 15th chapter of Matthew. It says, and behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coast and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. She identified him as king. Hey, eternal, immortal, invisible king who's worthy of all honor and glory. I need you. I have a problem. My daughter has a problem. We can't get it fixed anywhere else. We need the king. He answered her not a word. I've always enjoyed this account because we see her great humility. And humility is necessary if you, when you get in the presence of the king. Amen. Humility is necessary. <laughs> His disciples came and besought him, saying, send her away. For she crieth after us. Again, she's making a commotion. This is not socially acceptable, what she's doing. <clears throat> but he answered and said, I'm not sent, but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. You know, he didn't, he didn't answer her right away. Matter of fact, I would contend he might have even given her a little bit of resistance. He said, you know, I'm not really called to your kind. Then came she and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. You see that that did not deter her. She still recognized that the only place she could go for help was King Jesus. Matter of fact, it encouraged her even more to pursue him even more strongly. And she worshipped him. And she cried out and asked him, help me. But he answered and said, it's not meat to take the children's bread and to cast it to the dogs. Again, you hear this and you would think, man, that's, that's almost mildly offensive. Maybe she, was a, she could have been offended by that. But in humility, she recognized and she approached him and said, Truth, Lord, yea, the dog, yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from the master's table. She's saying, yes, I'm not worthy of your gifts. I'm not worthy of your blessings. I'm not worthy of your power. But I need it and I can't get it anywhere else. I need it and I can't get it anywhere else. All I need is a little crumb of your power, just a little bit, just like that woman who had an issue of blood. She said, I, I can only just get there and touch the hem of his garment. That's all I need to do. If I could just get there and touch the hem, just that little bit is enough. That's enough power in the king to heal me. Jesus answered and said unto her, O woman, great is thy faith. Be it unto thee, even as thou wilt. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. He had mercy upon her and healed her. You know, if you're lost tonight, you need to approach the king in a great humility. I, I often think uh, I love the account that we find in the book of Esther, and I'm going to close here in just a minute. I love the account that we find in the book of Esther when Esther uh, is coming before King Ahasuerus or King Xerxes, and she's coming before him unannounced, and that can be punishable by death. 
But nevertheless, she's going to come before him and make a request of him uh, for the, ultimately for the salvation of the, the, the Jews at that point. And uh, as she comes before him, he sticks out what's referred to as the golden scepter. And the golden scepter is there. What he is saying to her is, I, I am merciful to you and I am willing to engage your request. And she reaches out and touches that golden scepter and then she's able to make her request before the king. Tonight, as you come before the king, he will put out, if you'll come to him in the right way, he will put the golden scepter out before you. He will put it out before you tonight and he will mercifully hear your cause and hear your case and he will mercifully save. He can do that. He can do that. He wants to do that. Get before King Jesus tonight and get saved. Brother Brad. Let's have a song. Have a song of invitation. If you're lost tonight, come and seek the king. Come and seek the king. A beggar coming before a king with nothing to offer. Only just seeking the grace of the king. The favor, the undeserved favor of the king. That's what you need tonight.